spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Chaminade University. Well, good morning. It is Monday, August 30th. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii on the platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. We want to thank so many for starting their week off with us. And to start off our conversation and this week with us this morning, Yanji, is someone that always attracts a lot of comments and a lot of questions from our audience. That's right. And we certainly have many of our own. Joining us live from his office at the state capitol is Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Good morning, Dr. Green. Thank you for being with us today. You bet. Thank you. So I want to start off with uh, so many texts and emails that I was getting over the weekend. Coconut Wireless was just going nuts with all these rumors of a state-imposed lockdown to, to be started today. Can you clear up the rumors for us? Are we heading into a lockdown? Uh, well, not as of today. I did get about 150 text messages last evening to the same uh, point, and I did not hear that from uh, conversations I had with you know, of course, Director of Health, Char, and General Har, and so on. So uh, without that, in the kind of the discussion chain, it was not happening. There are discussions, of course, about how to deal with the COVID surge and the number of people in the hospital, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But the plan was not to have a lockdown today. So no. And then I did reach out to, to our communications lead over in the governor's office and just felt that there had to be some clarity because there started to be a little bit of run on grocery stores. That's how quickly things can, during a pandemic and a crisis, get out of hand. People get very nervous. So everyone take a deep breath, calm down, we're okay. The hospital numbers actually are very flat today, which makes me happy. Uh, but that's the challenge when you have a crisis, people quickly jump to conclusions. Uh, what we do know is that on Mondays, we have serious leadership meetings with everyone and we assess what happened over the weekend and what it looks like in the days coming forward. What did happen over the weekend was a huge number of cases that had everyone concerned. Yesterday's uh, 1,678 cases were a reflection of both a high number of cases and, of course, a catch up. Six to 700 cases at least were from previous weeks. So we look at the statewide seven day average, which is a little bit more important for policymaking. And then today's count was 720, still a very large number, but the positivity rate has been dropping. That is something that I'm hopeful about. We are now at a 7.96% positivity rate as compared to two days ago, it was 8.44% and also compared to the national average, which is 10.61%. So we're better than most places, but it sure is a little scary when you have our hospitals filling up. Let's take a look at and talk about some of those numbers that you mentioned. Of course, today's count uh, about 700. And it's crazy to think that when we hear the number 700 is actually considered a, a better day considering the numbers that we've seen recently. But if you can take us through what we saw today, not only with these positive cases, but where we're at with the hospitalizations, as you mentioned, which have somewhat stabilized, if you can take us through those numbers. Yes, absolutely. So you're right. Remember, there was a time when 100 was bad and then 300. Oh, my God. And then 700. The average case count per day for this last seven days is 874. 
I do believe we're due to have it come down for many reasons. One, we continue to vaccinate a lot of people. We'll talk about that in a moment. There are 14,000 vaccinations that were done this weekend. So people are concerned about catching Delta. They're finally resuming their vaccination opportunities. Also, the hospital number. The hospital number is 418 in our hospitals. It was 318 at peak last year, just for perspective. So that's 33% higher. Now, I've been very worried about this number because let's break down what our hospitals can do. There's about 2,200 beds available at any given time that are fully staffed. As of today, 418 of those beds are occupied by individuals with COVID-19. And that's a, you know, a very serious amount of work for nurses to keep people alive. The last seven days, our numbers have hovered between, and I'll have to look at my notes, between 411 and 418. It went 411, 408, 414, 427, 425, 420, 414, then 418. So that's what it's been like, which means it's been very stable these last few days, and that's a good sign. We hope that the hospitalization numbers are dropping. They must drop because we can only get up to about 500 people in the hospital with COVID and continue to know that we have enough ICU beds and give comprehensive care. If we exceed that, then you start wondering, do we have to ration care in some way or another? We do have a higher number under the worst of circumstances. After polling all of our hospitals, we have 710 available beds for COVID. That's how much we could staff, even with this surge of staffing. Remember, we got 550 visiting nurses and, and respiratory techs to come in that are being paid for by federal dollars. So they're here now. Most of them are here. We're going to actually, I've got good news, bump that up to 650, it looks like. So we'll take that 550 additional staff and go up to 650. But it still leaves us very tight when you have this many people with COVID in the hospital. So what I said to our team was, guys, if we get anywhere near 500, you are going to have to take very strong action, life-preserving action. And that would likely come in the form of at least a temporary shutdown on some uh, based on some standard. We've done a couple of those before, and I don't want to get people thinking that green is, you know, I'm recommending that at this moment because the numbers have stayed steady. But that is the standard that I have, that I see, because I'm seeing behind the scenes how many docs, infectious disease specialists, nurses, ventilators. As of today, we've got 66 individuals with COVID on ventilators. It's a high number. So that takes a lot of extra staffing to take care of people. And so that 500 uh, threshold is really a number that means a lot of different things. And it's the point at which I would be worried that we would see extra loss of life above what we should ever see with the disease itself. What kind of a lockdown would you advocate if we did hit that 500 threshold? Because I think, um, you know, I'm a parent of two young children and a lot of other parents have been texting me and saying, please ask if we're going back to distance learning. I think that that is a huge fear for a lot of families who have just started to get their kids right back into the um, routines of schools and kind of feeling somewhat normal. So if we had a, lo a lockdown, what would that look like? Would it be the same as what we had uh, you know, in March of 2020 where everything was shut down or would it be more targeted, if you will? I think it would be significantly more targeted. I think it would be a reflection of the safer at home category that we had, which was you could go out, your kids would go to school, you would go to work, but you'd only really go out to pick up food, go get groceries and that kind of thing. I'm also thinking that really in the short term, what we should look at and we should make this decision by Wednesday is whether or not we want to have just a pause, a moment to breathe a little bit over the Labor Day weekend, which means Saturday, Sunday, Monday. In my opinion, 
there should be absolutely no gatherings outside of our family circles, our family bubbles over this Labor Day weekend because we cannot afford extra spread, which will mean extra cases and then hospitalizations and then extra fatalities. So this is the time that we don't want to have an experience like the July 4th weekends of the past where we take this large number of cases and we essentially pour gasoline on the fire. But I don't think right now we're talking at all about shutting down schools or shutting down all of business. We don't want to do that. Keep in mind right now that there are some other good indicators that keep us safer in general. 84% of all of the people who are eligible to get the vaccination have at least started it, have at least initiated it. We've seen 62.6% of all of society get fully vaccinated. 70.9% of all of society initiate, and then that bigger number, 84%, when you set aside the kids that are under age 12, 211,000 of them who cannot be vaccinated. So it is very difficult to close down society when only 16% of our society who is eligible has chosen not to get vaccinated. And then some of them have actually gotten immunity through catching COVID, sadly. So I think that's the reason things are so different. I also think that it's been basically safe. You know, like I have told a lot of people, my heart breaks when anyone is sick, especially children. As of now, there were two children statewide in the pediatric intensive care unit, and neither of them were in critical condition requiring um, breathing support, like with a, you know, with a ventilator. So that is a good thing because we have 171,000, including my Sam, individuals, children in public school, and right now, just two have gotten sick enough. Now, two is too many, but you can't stop a virus from affecting some children, some adults, some adolescents. That's not possible. So we're trying to really be very careful. And we're trying to make sure we stabilize society and stabilize the hospitals. Let's talk a little bit more about this recommendation that you're presenting of a quieter Labor Day weekend, if you will, it's sort of a semi-shutdown or stay-at-home order. Uh, how would that ultimately impact, say, visitors coming to Hawaii? Because we know that there are uh, a lot of tourists that are expected to be here for the long weekend. What would a shutdown uh, or a pause, if you will, over the weekend mean for visitors uh, as well as locals in that context? Well, in that context, that's safer at home. People would just go and gather only uh, with their families. That would be it. So there probably would not be that much impact on family units or visitors, we still would encourage people to go out and exercise at the beach parks and, and be in their small, you know, mini cohort, if you will. Uh, they would go do takeout restaurants in that case. We would really ask people to stay to their resorts. And this is just only a precaution if we reach that threshold, which is 500 individuals in the hospital and the beginnings of the inability to care for anyone who has other problems too, like heart attacks, strokes, and so on. It is a great challenge, but it is a life-saving uh, endeavor. And it's actually more important that we stop community spread. Now, of course, we worry about spread from travelers. That's always been a concern and on our mind. They have had a very low percentage of the spread overall. It's been one to 2%. Though when they're, when they're here, we're all at work and we are with our friends and we're in the lunchrooms and we're in lines and so on. And that's why there can be spread. There has been less travel, I will point out. We now only had 17, I'm sorry, 19,788 travelers uh, yesterday, which still sounds like a lot of people, but that's a lot less than when it was 32,000 a day. That's a reflection of both the regular slowdown that comes kind of towards the end of August when kids go back to school in the mainland and fewer families come. And then of course the governor's comment where he asked people to only come here if there was a necessity for their travel. 
Uh, most of the people that we're seeing now keeping their trips are our own local people. There's just so much sense in having a quieter Labor Day weekend. However one wants to define it, I would support it because if not, you'll know, you know what you're going to see. We'll see parties like we broke up yesterday, 400 people uh, going over to East Oahu, 400 people in West Oahu at beach parks trying to have big gatherings. Not only do those already break our gathering rules, which is just 25 outdoors, but we really need to be citing people if they're going to do that because those kind of gatherings are creating huge spread events. And then the spread gets into the community, multi-generational households see lots of cases. And then you see what you see at West, you know, Queens West, where they had twice the number of people in the ER that they could even normally pack in there just physically. So all of these are a reflection of what our healthcare capacity is. I don't want to diminish anyone's ability to have their job or even some, of course, just enjoyment and relaxation on the weekend. But it might need to be quiet and in the family unit rather than in a barbecue or a large setting. You know, a three-day pause, um, that is falls far short. When we talked to uh, Dr. Char, and she was on this program, she said that for a lockdown to actually be effective and to have an impact on those ICU and hospitalizations, you really need the full 28 days. So do you think three days would be enough? If we hit that 500 threshold, would you call for the three days or would you call for a full 28-day lockdown? Well, that would just be initial. I, I'm not sure that we shouldn't do the three days no matter what because really what the three-day pause would be is just taking the gasoline out of the equation, taking the gasoline out of the equation that would be otherwise poured on our numbers, causing an explosion of additional cases. If you want to actually get these cases down significantly, you're going to have to stop gatherings for, like Dr. Char said, at least one, if not two cycles, which is either two or four weeks. That's the way ultimately it will happen. We need to vaccinate a lot more people. We've talked about that a, a lot, so maybe I don't need to get into that again at this moment, but vaccinations will take time to show effect. Decreasing gatherings is the immediate uh, positive impact on the spread of this disease. So I think that Dr. Char is correct. If we want to more aggressively bring the cases down, we have to be a lot more diligent about not letting big gatherings occur. As long as these big gatherings occur, you're gonna continue to see spread until one of two things happens. Everyone gets vaccinated, or most people, or two, everyone else catches COVID and gets natural immunity. Those are the only two ways the cases will stop. And I hate to see the second version or the second way, because every time there's another, well, well let me break it down for you. Every time we vaccinate 100,000 people, we stop 5,000 hospital admissions and we stop 500 deaths. So we have over 200,000 adults and adolescents that can still be vaccinated. We have the capacity to stop up to 10,000 hospitalizations over the next year, and we have the capacity to prevent 1,000 deaths at least. If we don't do the vaccination program, and if we don't find a way to stop the spread, you eventually will see all of those cases and fatalities. So it's really just science, and it's the raw numbers that, that Libby and I are reflecting on. It's really right at the tipping point, and we are doing everything we can to honor the sacrifice that the 84% of our society has made to get vaccinated. Then there are some other people that are not vaccinated that are very careful. They wear masks. They don't go into gatherings. I also want to thank them. But on the flip side, there are the people that got into a party of 350 to 400 people last evening and wanted to just get, you know, ripped drunk and make out. 
and those guys are going to spread COVID like crazy. And then they will spread it to some of their teachers and some of the grocery store clerks that they see and the nurses that they bump into and everybody. And that is just not okay. So this is where society has to be responsible, really each of us. Uh, it gives it gives us a black eye when we see people behaving that way because it sets us back week after week after week. Something else that's drawing a lot of comments and criticisms, if you will, in the in our comment section today is this talk of a vaccine passport. We talked to the governor about what he deems as a health pass. We talked to the mayor about it last week as well, who said he was actually going to roll something out last week, but decided to put a pause on that. What updates can you provide us about what this health pass may look like and if and when that might be implemented? Well, the mayors and the governor are working on that. I leave that to them, basically. A health pass is really just a way to show that you are vaccinated or not. And I know it's somewhat divisive and it scares some people. Interestingly, it scares some people who have been uh, discriminated against historically. And that is a worry because if we're divisive, it hurts people. Uh, for instance, last week I was... Um, told that when I say that we have a pandemic amongst the unvaccinated, it makes people feel somewhat alienated. Now, it is true that most of the people who are catching COVID are unvaccinated, but I don't mean to impugn anyone or, or make them feel badly. I just worry that they're going to get sick. Now, regarding this vaccine passport, they're working on a way that you could just electronically have it on your phone and have a QR code so that if we have a concert or something, everyone can clearly, quickly show that they're vaccinated. It's a temporary thing if we do it i think i think that's very important because i don't want people to feel that they have to carry some kind of identification all the time and i want society to come back together i really just want to encourage people to look at the reality which is if they're unvaccinated and they're in a restaurant if they're positive for covid they don't know it from the delta variant they could spread it to 10 or 12 other people however if people are vaccinated in closed settings it's very difficult to spread uh, but I, I know that there's a lot of chatter on the Internet about this. The more that we can do to unite people, the better. This has been pretty interesting to me anyway. You know, people are talking about mandates for vaccinations. Right. And this might come as a surprise to a lot of our viewers. I don't personally uh, support mandates unless they have a clear option for people to get tested and make a choice of it. I think if you add that component where people can get a simple test paid for by the employer then it's not that big a deal. I've really been completely uh, willing to test myself because I don't want to see other people catch anything from me. And everyone should probably take that tact. So when you have vaccine mandates, it does make a lot of people upset. And I'd rather bring society along because now it's FDA approved. Soon they will okay it for children ages five to 11. It has been safe now for many months. I'd rather convince people, because I'm very pro-vaccine with the science, rather than feeling that we have to drive them to a place where they must get vaccinated. But I'm going to support businesses if they make that decision to have the option of vaccine or test, because that is a way for them to keep their business safe. But isn't it so easy to just fake a test? I mean, I feel like I, I'm not good at Photoshop and I feel like I could create a test uh, that I could show to a business on my computer. And likewise, we see plenty of these vaccination cards being sold online. Um, I know that at some point we have to trust our fellow citizens, but uh, you know the idea that we would have these vaccine passports that, that then would be so easy to fake, will that have any effect if that is actually implemented? Uh, it will not have a large effect. It will have a psychological effect because I think the idea is that a lot more people will finally be willing to just go get vaccinated. That's really the, the likely approach. 
Uh, is there benefit to everyone being vaccinated? You bet there is. And by the way, we've been having these kind of vaccination standards for a long, long time, whether it's for measles, mumps, rubella, for uh, polio, just so many things. You have to be vaccinated and show evidence that you're vaccinated in order to travel, in order to go to school. So it's it's nothing new. But yes, people could fake a test. They can fake a vaccine card. We do ultimately have to just look into our own hearts and know whether or not we are willing to tell the truth and be responsible. Or do we tell our employer, you know, I, I can't really do that because I have a deep philosophical opposition, but could I do a different job? Can I work from home? Can I work part time? How can this work out for me until the pandemic is done? There's just so many different things that we can do to come together, which I would prefer. But I understand when you have a global pandemic, pretty much everything is on the table, especially when people are this afraid. It is very scary when I see patients and they look up from the, the hospital bed at me and and tell me in tears that they wish they had been vaccinated because they know that they could have avoided you know, severe illness. We had a 37 year old die just yesterday uh, because he and his family chose not to be vaccinated. That's a very young person to be dying of something that could have easily been prevented with a single Johnson & Johnson shot or a pair of Pfizer or Moderna shots. So people will make certain choices and that's not something that ultimately uh, we can control. What I can control is giving good scientific information. What I can control is trying to lead by example. It's why I got my shots early and why my children are getting their vaccinations and my wife. We really just have to try to embrace all opinions and then work with people because there are some ways to mitigate risk. First, the best way is with vaccinations. And then there are lots of other ways to mitigate the risk, whether it's mask wearing or hand washing or any number of things. We're getting close. We're in the top three of all states in the country for vaccinations. I mean, it's pretty extraordinary to be at 84% for initiation of vaccinations across the population. I'm somewhat blown away by that. But if we do a good job in September, and that means doing 150,000 shots, 72,000 shots for people who have not yet started, that would get us another 6%. And then 80,000 shots for people who have already initiated, that would finish them off. We would be at two milestones. We'd be at 70% fully vaccinated as a state, and we'd be at 90% initiated for those who are eligible. And that is just extraordinary given what you normally see with vaccination programs. You know, given those numbers, I mean, that seems like a very lofty expectation, but something that we are marching towards. But there is a group of people in this in our community that simply will not get vaccinated, you know, regardless of what other FDA announcements come out with the other vaccines and what gets approved. Uh, they just do not believe in the vaccine and won't get it regardless of what anyone tells them or what uh, government may say. Having considered that, how do you think we get out of this if we have a group of people who don't want to uh, get vaccinated and we see these numbers uh, being the way that they are? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Will these numbers go down? And, and is there any other way that the state is looking to try to minimize or, or support uh, the conditions that we're in, even if these, this uh, vaccine program doesn't advance much further? Yes, a uh, pretty complex question. So first of all, we've done uh, 1.8 million uh, shots, actually more than that, 1.85 million shots as of today and surging. I'll get to the exact number of doses, 1,863,219. When we reach 2 million shots, we would be at those milestones, 70% completed for the whole state 
and 90% initiated. And then we're on smooth sailing to, you know, to really get to a herd immunity. Now, in lieu of that, though, we're going to still see outbreaks and we're going to be taking care of people with COVID. Fortunately, most of our kupuna have been vaccinated and we'll be doing booster shots for our elderly and our healthcare workers. That's a very important thing because that will minimize fatalities. Also, we have to deal with it on the other side, which is at the hospital side. It's our moral obligation to keep everyone alive. That's, of course, been the greatest irony of all for, for me and friends when we see protests or even protests at our home, that people are protesting and refusing to be vaccinated while those individuals are going to get sick and need care from doctors like me and my, my friends. So we will be prepared. We will be prepared to take care of anyone who catches COVID uh, going forward, but it'll be harder and harder for the virus to spread. We'll have to still do good science and good epidemiology to make sure that future variants aren't uh, making other people vulnerable. We'll have to make sure that our hospital census is is sufficiently low so that if people need transfers for their serious traumas, car accidents, heart attacks, that we can take care of everybody. That's just building out the healthcare system. And in an era where we're having a pandemic, you have to have more focus on healthcare. It will mean more investment in healthcare services and challenges to invest in other things. It might mean that for the next couple of years, we see more investments in hospitals and clinics and vaccinations and treatment than road work. You just never know what you're gonna to have to prioritize going forward, but we will prioritize uh, life and safety. And that's really what we're doing now. It's why we come full circle. And I recommend that we have a, you know, kind of a quiet uh, uh, Labor Day weekend so that we don't have to deal with a forest fire on the other side of it. Uh, no, it won't solve all of our problems, but I'm hopeful that by the next time we see each other, I think probably in two weeks, if I'm making a guess, that we will be on the other side of this mountain of cases. And I can't predict with a crystal ball, but it looks likely, because if you look at the models that occurred all across the world, it usually was about 50 days up, which 50 days is uh, September 1st from the, the surge that began on July 10th. And then, you know, somewhere between 30 and 50 days down. And that's mostly a reflection of added immunity, added vaccinations, and a lot of heartache at the hospitals. I'm seeing a lot of comments here uh, asking about children and schools. Have we seen clusters at schools? And do you still think it's safe to send our kids to in-person schools? Well, I'll tell you, that that is a question that comes very close to home for me. Uh, so I have two children. Maya's at 14 at Iolani, and she has had... Uh, smooth sailing. She's vaccinated. They've had almost no cases. They, of course, are lucky enough to have a lot of extra resources where they're testing an extraordinary amount. And that's what we should be doing at all of our public schools. But for 171,000 additional children, it's very hard to be testing every day. We only test about 10,000 tests a day statewide. So it's not even really physically possible. And then there's uh, my Sam, who's 10. And just, you know, it's been a rough go for a couple of days. I mean, his classroom, they they had an outbreak, you know, and Sam's back with us at home. He's doing okay. But it's really, you know, it's something as a dad, you know, it's hard to get me emotional about these things. Sometimes protests make me mad. But as a dad, when I see our kids get sick and then have to go home in quarantine, it's tough. But it's the right thing to do. He wanted to go to school so badly. He needs to be educated. A lot of his classmates rely on uh, meals at the school. And they do an incredible thing, uh, not just developmentally, but nutritionally, psychologically, spiritually for our children in the public schools. So we have to do all that we can to keep those schools open. But we have to be smart. And our principal at Voyager, when they had a small outbreak, they knew 
that they had to really be very careful and lock it down. Now, it's not going to be perfect. And as a father with a son who's been home at quarantine, we'll talk more about this in the future, I really am feeling it. And it's a, uh, it's a challenge that we will rarely have to deal with. But these are the hardest decisions that we'll make. I'm not going to blame any parent if they choose to keep their public school kid at home. I'm not going to blame any school teacher if they demand extra safety and they themselves take leave because they don't feel safe enough. All I can say is our family didn't have a problem because Maya, my daughter, Jamie and I are vaccinated. We didn't have to worry about extra risk. That can be said of a lot of families, but families who have children in public schools and they are not vaccinated are exposed to extra risk for their parents and grandparents that may live with them. These are these are unique challenges of our time, which we will get through together, but it does not escape any of us. Having had COVID, having been vaccinated, having seen the second wave, having a child at home because his school had to quarantine his classroom, it touches all of us. And so all I can say is, you know, definitely dig deep, decide if you are able to get vaccinated and do it if you can. And if you can't take every other precaution, but don't minimize the disease because the disease has taken 589 of our loved ones in Hawaii and it's infected 62,949 of our people at least. This is a very serious circumstance and when we come out of it, we'll be stronger, but we'll be stronger because we've gone through a lot together. And just a quick follow-up to that, knowing that there are others who are in your situation with parents having to keep kids home, uh, many are calling for more options for distance learning. Is that something that you think should become more available? Is more distance learning options like we saw last year uh, available for those who may have to quarantine because of some sort of exposure? Absolutely. It's a must. I'd like to see a seminar series targeted to each and every age group so that that augments their education. It's difficult to put these things into play, but we have to do that work. And, you know, our superintendent knows that he's an excellent superintendent. They're working very hard uh, to prepare for that. People will ask, well, why didn't we prepare before? They never they never uh, imagined that the Delta variant, even though 65 percent of our population had already initiated vaccination and 60 percent were fully done with it, that you could get an outbreak like this. So people all across the country are dealing with this. Schools really do need to be open. I know that that's hard for some people to accept. And again, I'll be understanding if they choose a different option, including at-home learning or distance learning. These are the many things that we're going to continuously have to deal with. And in the future, hopefully it won't be as challenging. In future uh, pandemics or if we have hurricanes or we have any of these big challenges, it'd be great to be able to do things simply and really care for all of our society in new ways. So we are learning an incredible amount about ourselves and our system, uh, but it's under great duress. And we're trying to do a lot of these things, fly this airplane while part of it is on fire with cases, with hospitals that are filled, with differences uh, in opinion, people who are protesting. And I do respect that protest. I respect the freedom of speech, but all of these are very high pressure circumstances. Not the least of which is if your loved one is in the hospital and you can't visit them because they have to be quarantined with their disease. So we'll never see another time, I don't believe, where it's this challenging, uh, but we're up to the challenge. And I think that people need to just be understanding of, of different uh, points of view. And if we're that uh, understanding, it'll be easier for us to deal with the crises that keep coming. 
I know it's the top of the hour. You have a leadership meeting in less than 15 minutes. I want to give you an opportunity just uh, one more time if you can sort of outline your line in the sand because that, that 500 caseload at the ICUs, a lot of people who have joined late keep saying, are we locking down? What's happening? Um, so if you could reiterate that, what you're calling for for Labor Day weekend and what could happen if we hit that 500? So I've already spoken to leadership in our first meetings at 8, 8.30 and 9, and I've expressed uh, the need uh, to at least strongly consider a pause, a deep breath this weekend, where we have a safer at home uh, basic provision, where we stay at home, we don't have any gatherings at all this weekend. Uh, we'll see what the governor feels, what the mayors feel. There does seem to be a lot of consensus that we should do something of the sort, just so we don't pour gasoline on the fire of an average of 874 cases a day and currently 414 people in the hospital. But the absolute absolute decision must be made if we touch 500 people in the hospital to then go into a significant life-preserving position, which would be a stay-at-home order. Uh, it would either be safer at home or stay at home because we would have to bring those cases down over 14 to 28 days, uh, like Director Char has recommended. That is necessary if we touch 500, just from a practical standpoint, to keep those who are suffering with COVID alive and other people across the state who have other health conditions that will need services and we would not have beds adequate for them if we don't do something to stop the spread. People wanna know obviously why we don't do it like this. Well, it's a big decision to put people out of work, to stop schools, to stop travel, to deprive them of their ability to pay for their children's education or their groceries. Those are very hard decisions to make. The flip side of course is we must keep people alive. And so that's why I felt it was important someone just spoke up and put something very clear in people's minds that number 500 is not an abstract number. It's very clear. If we get there, we will have too much work to do in the hospitals to care for everyone. And then it would be very easy to justify, I think for everybody, a pause in society. Uh, I hope people will understand. Again, I understand there will be lots of pushback on all of these different proposals. But the most important thing is try not to judge your neighbor. Try to understand that everyone's circumstance is a little different. And from me to you, Please get vaccinated if it's something that you feel in your heart that you can do, because that will get us to the end of this crisis faster and better than anything else. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, thank you so much for starting your weekend morning off with us and uh, taking some of our questions here this morning. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Aloha. Aloha. Well, you heard it there. I know a lot of you have a lot of questions and we try to summarize as best we can because we get so many comments. Um, but you know, there, there it is. He laid it out at the beginning of the show and we had him lay it out at the end for those of you who joined late that that 500 really is the bright line. But short of that, he is calling for some kind of 72 hour pause related to the Labor Day weekend to prevent gatherings. It's not clear whether that would be merely a suggestion or something with enforcement or any teeth behind it. But basically, Basically, he's saying that they need the whole state to really lay low this holiday weekend so that these numbers don't spike and that we don't hit that 500 because if we do, we're in store for some much more severe restrictions. And we're seeing many people comment saying that uh, this three-day weekend is not enough, that it needs to be more. And we asked him about that. He recognizes, especially what Dr. Char said, given the time frame that is needed in order to really see these numbers come back down a longer period, more than three days, 
Uh, however, he's saying that this is basically taking the gasoline out of this fire and not allowing it to get any worse because he says after these long weekends, the 4th of July weekend, for example, the Labor Day, we will see some of these larger gatherings and thus cases going up. And so his thought is that by putting a pause on this weekend that we're, we might be able to cap this number, so at least hold it consistent to what we were seeing thus far. Also saying that the hospitals can hold to a capacity of about 700, but that the state does not want to get to that point. That 500 is really the number that they're going to pay, pay attention to, knowing that there could potentially be more. And really right now, it is uh, about trying to make sure that there is adequate hospital and healthcare available for all patients, not only those suffering with COVID-19. We know that the mayor was on here on Friday. Uh, he made some news when he was on here talking about the possibility of a vaccination passport for the city and county of Honolulu. And when we talked to the lieutenant governor about that, he said that he didn't think that that would really have much of an impact on the actual numbers, um, you know, because the, the mayor has said that he would also make an allowance so that you could show a vaccination card or you could show a negative test within three days. Obviously, both of those are fairly easy to forge. Um, so it didn't seem like something that he was, you know, necessarily opposed to, but he just said that it wouldn't make much of a difference. We are still waiting to hear from the mayor's office. Uh, that's something that he had said that they were planning to roll out, but then the numbers got so high, he wanted to wait to meet with leadership uh, to talk about what further measures could be needed in addition perhaps to that. They're having their meeting in just about 10 minutes. So I expect that in the next day or two, we will hear more. Yeah, we we'll look forward to hearing what officials have to say about these next steps and continue to watch these counts. On Wednesday, we're gonna get a more in-depth look into the COVID-19 virus, where it is in our community and how it's impacting uh, uh, specific areas and people in our community. That's right, we're gonna be talking to Melinda Ashton, Dr. Melinda Ashton. She's a pediatrician and the hospital administrator for Hawaii Pacific Health. So she'll give us a broad perspective on the hospital capacity issue, but also be able to address a lot of your concerns. We see all the comments from parents um, and caregivers who are concerned about COVID in children. Uh, the Lieutenant Governor did mention that there were two kids in the ICU right now, that they were not in critical condition, but they did need intensive care. So we are going to be talking with Dr. Ashton about how COVID is presenting in kids. When you see those numbers every day reported, uh, you know, today over 700, officials have told us that you can assume between 20 and 25% of those are pediatric cases. So how is that actually playing out in the community? We'll be talking to Dr. Ashton about that. So do stay safe. Uh, take care of yourself. Remember, this is also a podcast, so you can download this later and listen to it in its entirety. If you uh, happen to miss any of it, please do share this video. And until Wednesday, stay safe. Aloha. We'll see you then. Spotlight. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.